Hi, everybody. I'm Dr. Stephen Long, and welcome to the X Factor podcast, the, uh, the podcast for leaders by leaders. Today, my uh, special guest is Casey Keeler, the head football coach at Sam Houston State. Hi, Casey. How are you today? Steve, great seeing you again, buddy. Yeah, good to, good to be with you as well. All right, let me tell, tell everybody uh, who Casey Keeler is. First of all, uh, he's won 72% of all his games coached. He's the only FCS coach to win a national championship at two different schools. He's number two among all active FCS coaches and wins. He has the highest number of NCAA postseason wins. Uh, he's been a head football coach since 1993, first at Rowan, Rowan College in New Jersey, a Division III school, where he uh, appeared in five championship games. Then he was the head coach at the University of Delaware, uh, an FCS school, and brought Delaware to three championship games with one national championship. And he, he's now the head football coach at Sam Houston State, where he's won a national championship. He's 16-time coach of the year, and that's national, conference, or regional. And ESPN has listed him as one of the top 150 college football coaches of all time. If you'd like to see more accomplishments by Casey, please go to the Sam Houston State uh, uh, website. So Casey, why don't you tell everybody what you see as your job as a head football coach in college? Well, you know, you're, you're dealing with um, young men who are really formidable years. And I always say that a lot of stuff happens between 18 and 22 years of age. Mm -hmm. And mom and dad don't want to drop them off to a business. Mom and dad want to drop them off to family. And so we try to make this a place where we're family. And I always tell mom and dad, like, listen, we have no problem communicating with you if there's an academic issue or a social issue. I mean, I mean it takes a village. Um, mm -hmm. Playing time, they're going to deal with me. But so we, we kind of help. I see myself as someone that's going to help them navigate through the next four or five years of their life. And hopefully when they're done with us, they move on to be better fathers, better businessmen, better, you know, parents, uh, better husbands. And you know, so I see my job as a teacher, as a role model, as a mentor. Uh, sometimes I'm just the guy that, you know, they want to come talk to when they got something going on. And I have no answers. Just sometimes they have to get it off their chest. Mm -hmm. So my wife says I'm more a psychologist than football coach. But when you're dealing with this age group, you wear a lot of hats. And I think it's really important that, you know, you learn to listen because as a leader, I think communication skills are really critical. But what we sometimes forget is that part of the communication skill is also listening. So I work harder trying to be a better listener uh, than even a communicator. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point because so many times leaders are so eager and anxious to show how smart they are to the followers that they're not really listening, they're waiting to talk, okay? And then, you know, by, and by doing that, the, you know, the message just gets, uh, you know, get, get, uh, gets diluted, if you will. Yeah, and you know, one of the things I've learned, Stephen, over time is that, you know, it's so easy to get emotion into, into your coaching. I'm a very emotional person. But, but you try to be more mission-focused than emotionally focused. Mm -hmm. And so what is the mission? The mission is try to grow this team. The mission is try to be the very best. I mean, that's kind of, we put our goals out there right away. I mean, we, we make no, we don't pretend about this. We're trying to be the best FCS football program in the country. Mm -hmm. And we measure ourselves three ways. We measure ourselves winning national championships. We measure ourselves academic excellence. And we measure ourselves at our involvement in the community. 
And so like, if you're going to play for me, you're going to write up front. This is who I am. This is what we're all about. And let's all kind of get on board together and move in that direction. So everything we do is in a vein of trying to be the best. And I learned that from my experience at Delaware. I mean, I remember walking into that locker room and you were in that same, you, you remember doing this too. You walk in that locker room, there's that sign, home of the national champions. Yep. And it was like, wow, mm -hmm. that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. And, you know, having been later having a chance to win a national championship as a player at Delaware, you realize all those sacrifices you made during the course of that season and during the course of your career were all worth it. Because winning that national championship is just something that bonds a group of men together like nothing I've ever seen or I will ever see in my lifetime. Yeah. And uh, it's pretty cool. And that's why as a coach, I am so driven trying to, you know, have my players have an opportunity to achieve that ultimate goal. You know, that, that, that sign just, you know, establishes a collective self-image, you know, of who we are and then what's important to us and then what we're willing to invest to, to maintain that standard. So, you know, when, when you talk about, you know, you're, you, you just don't recruit the, the athlete, you recruit the family, but when you recruit the family, but you also, you know, uh, recruit assistant coaches, how do you get, you know, you know, 150 people within your program and maybe even more, you know, to buy in to not only your vision of what you want, right, but how you want it to be. And, and Steve, I, if I've done anything really well, it's I put together amazing staffs. You know, Dan Lanning, who's the defensive coordinator in Georgia, mm -hmm. was my defensive back coach for seven years ago. Mm -hmm. Neil Brown is the head coach at West Virginia. He coached wide receivers for me. Mm -hmm. Kyle Flood is the old coordinator at Texas. Mm -hmm. you know, he was my assistant head coach at Delaware. Uh, Nick Rapone is the, the secondary coach with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He was my D coordinator at one time. Mm -hmm. Lyle Hempel is the D coordinator at, uh, at Wake Forest. I mean, the list goes on and on of yeah. coaches that have at one time worked for me and now are tremendously successful. So uh, when I hire a coach, because that's really part of the equation of being successful. Mm -hmm. uh, when I hire a coach, I try to hire great coaches, X's and O's, mm -hmm. hire better people. To me, it's all about the person. Mm -hmm. And I've been very blessed that, you know, I hire these guys and then I give them some mentorship and I give them some responsibility and, and, and you know, um, and they grow. And I think that's why I have so many coaches that have gone on to have unbelievable careers because I think I do a great job of growing coaches. This is not a dictatorship. I mean, I eventually am the guy making that final call on everything and I have no problem doing that. But I, I'm include, I, I, I believe in, in including my coaches with me and, you know, tell me, tell me how we want to practice this. Tell me why we want to do it this way. And, you know, I think guys are most effective if they're comfortable. I remember at Delaware, there's a way of teaching things and that's just the way it was going to be taught. Mm -hmm. I kind of have a different feel for that. I think when you hire a great coach, you got to kind of let them have their little bit of a spin on it because, they're invested in that. They feel comfortable with that. They feel it's worked for them before. So there might be some tweaks I might ask for, mm -hmm. but I try to empower my coaches. And I think that's why I've had so many coaches go on and have such great careers. Mm -hmm. So you give them guidelines, but there's some freedom within that they can you know, adapt with or adapt right. to. Yeah. And I think that's part of leadership. I think part of leadership is being, feeling comfortable enough that you don't control everything. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not a control. Freak. Mm-hmm. I want to know. Great example. You know, we won the national championship this year. And on that last drive of the game, I didn't call a single play, not a single play on that last drive. However, on fourth down, I'm telling our, our offensive coordinator, Hey, we can't substitute because we get the first down. The clock's going to stop for about seven or eight seconds, and then it's going to start right back up again. And so we can't sub because if they sub, then we're, we don't have a timeout. We're, we're, we're done. And so have, have a play ready for that personnel group. Don't worry about the play we just called. That's over. Mm-hmm. If we get the first down, great. If we don't get the first down, the game's over. Let's move on to the next play. And then when we were in third down, there was a chance that one of the potential routes was a check down. So now I'm talking to Ryan Cardi, my offensive coordinator who played for me. At Delaware, hey Ryan, this call's over. Okay, worst case scenario, we get a check down. Mm-hmm. We can still get on the ball and get a playoff with that personnel group on the field. Let's get to that play next. So that's kind of what I do. You know, mm-hmm. I, I'm involved in a lot of different aspects of the total game and game plan, but I'm not in the minutia. Uh, mm-hmm. Those guys are spending, you know, 80, 90, 100 hours a week watching every single clip. I'm more of the broad strokes guy, kind of giving mm-hmm. them guidance as we go along. So do you find that by empowering your assistant coaches that they develop stronger relationships with their players in their position groups? Absolutely. I, I think they develop a strong relationship with me also mm-hmm. because they appreciate the fact that I am not, you know, will I step in? Absolutely. I step in all the time. But they also know that I'm giving them a lot of freedom. And with freedom becomes responsibility. You know, mm-hmm. if you, if, 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 if you, if you know, and, and you have to be accountable, yeah. you, you have to be, you know, ready to, to answer the tough questions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, why we did something when I kind of turned it over to you. So, yeah, I, I think, I think, um, but that's, I think everyone has their own style of leading and, you know, that's my style of leading. My style of leading is, you know, I am aggressive. I am a take charge. I'm a let's go a million miles an hour. But I also have that side of me where I want to include everybody and I want to hear your voice. Mm-hmm. And you have to be okay if I say, now we're going to go another direction. Just be happy that you have had that opportunity to have your voice heard. Yeah. All right. So you're the, uh, so Sam Houston State is now the offending national champions of the FCS division. Okay. I don't right. like to call, I don't like to call them the defending. I like, I like to call them the, the offending national champions. Yeah. We, we call ourselves the attacking. Yes, we, the attacking national the attacking champions. national champions because you, you're more aggressive if you attack something than defend something. Exactly. And so literally on May 16th, after we won the national championship, we had a, a team meeting May 17th. I kind of laid out like this is how we're going to handle this from this forward point forward. And I said, talking about repeating, absolutely enjoy mm-hmm. it until August 4th, first day of training camp. Mm-hmm. Then it's all about playing Northern Arizona. So I sort of let some ground, I put, put down some groundwork for how we were going to enjoy this national championship. But that was part of it. it part of it was we're the attacking national champion, not the defending national champion. The other thing we did was the next day, the next day was all about, you know, exit interviews. It all about was player evaluations, self-evaluations, and then player evaluations. Because it's always good to hear like how they think they're doing versus how you think they're doing. Because it's important that, you know, we're kind of all on the same page in terms of like, and I say, listen, guys, have thick skin. Our jobs to make you better. And, you know, I heard this phrase one time 
and I, I really didn't buy into it, but then as things went on, I, I bought into it like a hundred percent. And that, that phrase is perception to reality. Mm -hmm. And so if your perception, like when we're coaching you hard on the football field is that we're assholes, mm -hmm. that's your reality. Mm -hmm. If your perception is, man, coach is trying to make me better. Mm -hmm. That's your reality. So we talk a lot about those kind of things. And I think that's really important in leadership to kind of put these mental images in their brain to say, so, so they understand. Because that's as much as anything, Steve, but you know, you being a former football coach, you know that they're not going to perform at the highest level if they have these mental blocks that they're creating in their brain because they don't like how you're, how you're talking to them. Mm -hmm. and say, I'm talking to you that way because I'm trying to make you great. Mm -hmm. You came here, you came here for, for, for a reason. And, and one of those reasons is that you want to get better. You want to be great. Yeah. You know, if it's to play in the NFL, it's to play in the NFL. If it's to be the greatest running back in FCS, it's great. if it's to be a contributor on a team that wins a national championship, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. So your perception knows your reality. Yeah. If your perception is that we're assholes, that's going to be your reality and we'll never get anywhere. Yeah, but it goes back to the mission and purpose. You know, if I'm here to, you know, to win a national championship and my role is to be as the best player that I can be, right, then why is my leader talking to me this way? Well, he must be, because he's got the same mission, same purpose. So he must be trying to get me better, right, rather than, you know, perceiving it defensively right. you know, as an attack on, on, my, on my character or, or my ability. Yeah, which can really just sink somebody's uh, you know, confidence, but that's their choice. And that's, this is what I tell people all the time is confidence is a choice. You know, it's, it's not something bestowed upon you. It's a choice. So let, let, let me talk about, let, let us talk about uh, what happened last season, because the, what, what many people don't know about the FCS level of football is it's similar to, you know, to, to, to what people see, you know, on CBS and ESPN and ABC all the time, right? Is that there were two teams that were pretty much like Alabama and Clemson, where uh, North Dakota State and, and James Madison won every one of the national championships in the last nine years. Right. Okay. And you had, and you beat them in the quarters and the semifinals. And then you played, South Dakota State, the number one seed in the in the finals, right? So even though you were the number two seed, you really had the toughest road, right, to win, right? Possibly of anyone ever, ever. You know, yeah. because, because you basically had the best three teams in the country mm -hmm. all on our side of the bracket, right? And so you know that's a challenge right there in terms of how to handle those expectations. So the first thing we do is you know we watch this, the, the selection show. Mm -hmm. And we just have some fun with the kids. And then I say, okay, you know, those little brackets that everyone had, we don't have those. <laughs> those brackets don't exist. Right. And I don't know who, I don't know who we play after Monmouth. I just know we play someone after Monmouth, mm -hmm. but men understand this. And just to give you some history, I am 16 and 0 on for, in first round games. Yeah. I've never lost a first round game. Right. And, and I think a lot of that is not letting the kids get caught up with what's next. Mm-hmm. Because there is no what's next yeah. if you don't win that football game. Exactly. So, so we talk a lot about, okay, there's around the country, people, other people are playing, but we don't even know that's happening. Mm -hmm. We're worried about playing Monmouth. And then in the locker room, after we're celebrating a win over Monmouth, 
someone's going to tell us if there's another game. Mm-hmm. And then we'll figure out who that is and we'll go play that game. Yeah, where and when. Okay. And, that, and, and, yeah. and all the way down to the national championship game when we're playing South Dakota State, it's like after that game, but they tell us we have to go play another one, we'll go mm-hmm. play another one. Mm-hmm. But, but, you know, right now it's only South Dakota State. It's all we're worried about. And then eventually, hopefully, they're going to say, hey, there's no more teams to play. <laughs> and then we're national champions. Exactly. So, so it's kind of a rhythm I get with our players. And, you know, I, I've had just some amazing um, success in the playoffs. And I think a lot of it is really uh, attacking that, the, the mentality of how we're going to approach the playoffs from literally the moment we make the playoffs. Yeah. It, it's like a whole education program goes in. Mm-hmm. And this is how we're doing it. Yeah. I don't let a single, I don't let a single uh, um, uh, bracket up in the, in the facility. I don't want anyone to have brackets. You know, no. I, no. we're the, just yes. worried about that game. Yeah, psychologically, that's what's called present time orientation. Okay. Right. And the media, God bless them, all right, is that they're always focused on what just happened and then what will happen. They're never in the present. All right. But because of that, they build all kinds of anticipation for the game, right? Which from a media standpoint and, and a promotional standpoint is exactly what you need to do. But this is where the players and coaches have to separate themselves from that kind of a mindset. It's a completely different mindset that a fan has than what a performer or athlete has, right? right? It's, it's, they have the responsibility of to be in the present. So, all right, so besides that, because right, that was just one aspect of the challenge of winning that national championship. The other aspect was managing COVID. Okay. And whoever came out as the champion, you know, particularly in the spring. Okay. Because the, the spring was, was actually even more chaotic than the fall. Uh, how, you know, talk a little bit about that, either from a leadership standpoint or from a uh, optimizing talent or executing or, or, or just from a broad human performance aspect. Yeah, it, the, you know, it's funny when the season was over, we're putting together the national championship ring and it's a really cool experience. You know, you're, you're with your captains and, and our operations director and I'm giving them some input because I, I have a couple of these from you know, as a player and as a coach. But it's, it's their ring. And one of the things our kids actually talk about putting on the ring is kiss my asterisk. Because people <laughs> want to put an asterisk, you know, to the season. And you know what? There should be an asterisk. The mm-hmm. asterisk should be this was the single most difficult championship ever won mm-hmm. because we had to go through COVID. And mm-hmm. what, ha- what, what with COVID is you wouldn't know if you're playing week to week because you're looking around the nation and there's teams that aren't playing. And how are you managing COVID? And what's your commitment level? The, the great thing we have down here in Texas is our weather. So during January and February, March and April, it's like, guys, don't hang with your teammates, hang with your roommates, because you're going to get contact traced through them. Not Don't, don't want to contact trace a teammate. And if you're doing anything, it has to be outside. You want to go, you know, have a celebrative uh, beer after the game. It's going to be outside. If you want to go have dinner with your family, it's going to be outside. So we, we, we stressed all those things, and, and we lost two players for, um, for a game during COVID. And both those players got it when parents came down after the first game of the season, which I warned them. I said, my big fear is we've done a great job through training camp and going into our first game with COVID. Now your families are going to come down. And you don't know where they've been. And all of a sudden, we lost two starters. Unfortunately, we were able to – you know, handle the next game. And then we got everyone back and we never lost another player, you know, after that point. 
Mm-hmm. And the other thing that was unique about what we went through was we were building a facility. We were redoing our facility mm-hmm. when this all happened. And so we were not anticipating to be in, in our complex in the spring because we were like, okay, we can do spring ball without, you know, w- without having a locker room. We what, to- wait, what? You didn't well, have a locker room? We didn't have a locker room. So, so we, <laughs> we had no locker room. We had no offices. Um, we put our offensive staff in the press box, but in the press box in individual cubicles, no meeting space. They had to go to a hotel on campus to watch film. And then our defensive staff was over in a bank building about two and a half miles off campus. And we would meet on the field post-practice because I couldn't have the guys from the bank building come over because the whole thing would waste like about 45 minutes to an hour round trip to get everyone together. Yeah. And then on top of that, I lost my offensive line coach and my defensive line coach 30 days before the start of, of camp. Then we had this historic um, weather storm that came oh, through. Yeah. And, and, we, and for four days, Stephen, yeah. for four days, um, we as coaches, interns, managers, mm-hmm. we dug our field out. It took us four days. Oh, and I went and bought the last six feed shovels at, 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 the, at the tractor supply store because there's no there's no there's no snow shovels here. Right. So the last <laughs> six feed shovels, and we literally 24 hours a day we rotated because there's there's no plows here. Yeah. We, we, there's no salt, and really? you're and you're getting you're getting messages from your player saying that their apartment is under 40 degrees. Yeah, because all the heat went out. All the yeah. fast food places yeah. lost lost um, water. Pipes water, are frozen. Oh, pipes froze. I my, I I had a, a major uh, blowout in my house because <laughs> the houses aren't prepared for this. So it just was another obstacle, and that's kind of what our our theme became is like every obstacle we have is just going to be an opportunity, mm-hmm. and and that's kind of how we. And I think that's what coaching is. Coaching is real time problem solving, mm-hmm. like in the moment. Mm-hmm. on the field, in the locker room, in the meeting, it's real-time problem solving. Mm-hmm. And that's what this season was all about. This season was all about problem solving our way through this from it yeah. being COVID, from not having meeting space to not having a locker room. I, I told you, you know, off air before we got on here, one of the neatest things I've ever seen was our team preparing for the first game of the season. And we've made our weight room, our locker room. And to get to the weight room, it's a straight walk up the visiting stands. Mm-hmm. And till you get there and turn around, you lose about maybe 10 minutes. So literally, you're only in the locker for 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not the worst part. It's a late February game. And it just was one of those unusual days in Texas where sometimes it can get to 85, 90 degrees in February. And the humidity was like off the charts. <laughs> well, the air conditioning breaks. And so... I'm in the locker room and I'm seeing these, these guys like put, trying to put on like their t-shirts and their pants and they're sweating, just profusely sweating. There's, and there's nothing we can do that you're just blowing hot air on them with the fans. And it was so cool. Cause no one's, no one said a word because they just so badly wanted to play the season because the season was almost taken away from them. It was like, what a great lesson we learned. Like when something's almost taken from you, Mm-hmm. Boy, you really appreciate it. Yeah. You know, it's like it's like the rose smells so so yeah. beautiful. It's a, so the fragrance is so amazing when you think there's no more roses in the world. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened with us. You had a team that just literally every obstacle that we came up against, it was an opportunity. 
And I think a lot of it was because they thought this season was going to be taken away from them. You know, you, 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 you really touched on so many major points there. And that is, is first is uh, just the adaptation that coaches have, that leaders have in the moment. It's what uh, George Welsh, my, 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 uh, my boss at the University of Virginia, would call coaching on the run. I say, you know, you, you just got to do it. You know, you, 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 you just got to adapt right now. You can't have, you don't have time, you know, to think about it and, to, you know, decipher about it and be professorial about it. You got to fix the problem now because the problem is facing you right now. Okay. And you, and if you let the problem linger, it's only going to get worse because habits form. Okay. Right. But then you, you talk about really, you know, just like with the parents coming down, that degree of discipline, in my experience, and from what I've learned, people don't know anything about, right, is just the willingness and eagerness to do the hard thing, right, and your players had that, but, you know, the, 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 the other part was just the perception of it not being a sacrifice, or even an investment, the perception was, we're grateful for this. Yeah. We're grateful for all the obstacles that are being presented to us because we have the opportunity to overcome them, to solve these problems. Right? Right. It's not a, you know, it, 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 it's, it, it's not like a, uh, a, a cast upon us, is that we have the opportunity. And so how... Because I, I, you know, I'm proud to call you a friend for over 40 years, mm -hmm. right? and I know your mindset pretty well. Is that, and I, and I've seen you in the locker room as a player, right? 40 years ago, or over 40 years ago, and when we were down and saying, "Hey, we got this," right? And people would look at you. You know, other players would look at you and say, "What are you nuts, Casey?" Right? And then you would say, "Wait a minute, this is what we got." All right, and so you had that you know, that mindset from way back when. So how do you transfer that to your assistant coaches, to your players through this, you know, through this, you know, uh, you know, what, what some people would call a middle market organization. Right. Well, they, you understand that they feed off of me. Right. And so, you know, the, the aura I put out there, the presence I put out there, that's what they're going to take. And so we're losing to James Madison, who, Undalby was one of the top one, two, three teams in the country mm -hmm. by 21 points at halftime at our place. Mm -hmm. And I remember going over and doing my ESPN interview on my way up. And I'm like, I just have to have our players understand that I don't have a play in my hip pocket for 21 points. Let's just get back seven. Mm -hmm. We get back seven. We're good. This then is all good. Yeah. Then it's a, then it's two scores and anything can happen. Exactly. So, so, I get in that locker room and I basically said, guys, let's not stop panting. We, we panicked a little bit there for the first time all season. We panicked a little bit because, because, you know, I think when you're, when you're getting close to that national championship, it's like mm -hmm. every play, like, Oh no, it's like, no, you can't do that. Just mm -hmm. play the next play mm -hmm. because worrying about the last play is not going to help you. And so I got in their mind that we just needed to get a score. We get a score. We're right back in this thing. Mm -hmm. And we got that score. And I, I think it was like something like 35 points and like, 10 minutes or 12 minutes, we, we just went from touchdown to punt return for a touchdown to that, to, to, we put the ball up in the air on a kickoff and, and it, it fell and we, we got on the ball, 
but everything was like they knew it was going to happen. Like once we got that first score, it was like, okay, here we go. Because that's what I got in their minds at halftime. I got in their minds at halftime that if we get one score, we're, we're going to be fine. And uh, so I think it's important that like the energy kind of permeates from the leader. And yeah. so I made sure I got my offensive staff and my defensive staff before, the, before they went and talked to the kids and said, okay, this is the mindset we have to have. Then I got in there, I talked to them and have them understand, like, let's calm down. We have a whole half to play. And all I need is seven points. I don't need 21. Mm -hmm. I just need seven. Just give you seven. get a seven and we're going to be good. Yeah. And so when we got that seven, you could just see the, the collective sigh on the sideline. Like, and all of a sudden the energy is just ramped up to a higher level because it was like, oh, God, here we go. Yeah. And we did. We put the whole thing together. But what people don't understand, and this happens in business, too, because a lot of people in that second or third place go, oh, man, how are we going to make up this gap? All right. And they really get perfectionistic. They really actually narrow their margin of error, which actually puts more pressure on them. Right? But I've seen this with not only individuals, but also teams and organizations, is that once they get the momentum on their side, right, then the pressure actually shifts to your competitor. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then they get perfectionistic. Right? And then they're more likely to, to make a mistake that you can capitalize on. So even though you're down two scores or, you know, you might be down in, in the marketplace in, in, or in, in the market share, right? The pressure has actually been moved to, to whoever's leading. Right? And then they're, because they may not be as well psychologically trained, right? Then, th th then they're more likely to screw up. OK, and so it's a, it's a unique phenomena that a lot of people don't don't see it, that it's, it's, it's actually on both sides. Right. It's that, yes, the momentum shifts to you and you're jacked. All right. But the pressure shifts to them and they get tight. Right. And that's where and that's really where the ball game is won or lost. Yeah, you And you could see it as the game is going. And also we make another play. You could just see them like, oh, my God what's happening here. And then we made another play. It's like, Oh my God, what's happening here. So as we accelerated our momentum and, and determination and belief that we could get this done, you could see them starting to fall apart. Like this might not work out for us and we aren't going to be national champions or we're not going to go play for that national championship. So yeah, it was pretty powerful, you know, that, mm -hmm. that moment. And I think it just sort of solidified all the things that we're going through for the whole season. And that's why when we went to that national championship game, I, you know, most people might not know this, but there's five lightning delays. Yeah. You know, we got to a point in the, in the national championship game where they had to send us off the field. And then five different times they came to us and said, Hey, you know, lightning strike we're out in 30 minutes. And then 20 minutes later, Hey, no, there's another lightning strike. It's going to be 30 minutes from now. And so I would go in every time, Steve, and I'm like, hey, guys, we're going out in 30 minutes. Hey, guys, we're going out in 30 minutes. And so one of the things that was happening, unbeknownst to me during that time, was the players were actually in the locker room, enjoying the moment, talking about this is only fitting. They weren't, like, complaining. They weren't like, oh, what's happening? This was only fitting for all the obstacles that we've gone through. Because that was one of my themes as we were going through this. Like, look, look up. Uh, Look how we handle these obstacles. Mm -hmm. Nothing bothers us. It's an opportunity. There's never a panic. It's an opportunity. And so unbeknownst to me, they're as players in that locker room talking about this is only fitting. We will be national champions because this is only fitting for us to end the season this way.
And, uh, and then finally, I decided I'm not going to tell them any more about rain, uh, lightning delays until I'm 100% sure we're going out. And I went and, and, you know, told the fellas, hey, 10 minutes, it's all clear. We're going out. And I go back to, you know, towel off and you know change my clothes. And all of a sudden the music goes off. And we generally don't have music. Like when we come off the, the, the field after warmups, there's like about a five to seven minute time period. There's still music on, and then it's turned off. Mm-hmm. And there's like about a 10 to 15 minute window where it's just, we're just like all locked in and we're not doing the music yeah. anymore. Boys turn the music on and it's blaring. I mean, it's to decimal levels that like probably would be concerning for, you know, uh, people that are, have hearing issues. Um, and I kind of peek around the corner and they're dancing. It's a mosh pit. They are so <laughs> excited to go out and win this national championship. Like you couldn't have scripted anything better. And sometimes as the head coach, what you realize is sometimes you need to remove yourself. Mm-hmm. I was not going to interject myself there. Mm-hmm. I wanted to turn the music on. But when the music went on, it made sense. Yeah. And when I see them dancing, it makes sense. And so it's like, you know what? they have me covered. I'm not going to interject myself. And I think that's part of being a leader too, is knowing when to insert yourself and knowing when to just let things kind of work out on their own. Yeah. But that's such a great analogy for, you know, not just, you know, sports or business, but just our society in general for the eight, you know, for the past 18 months is what your guys were doing is that they were acting as a thermostat, Mm -hmm. right? They weren't the thermometer. They weren't reacting to the environment. Right. They were they, they saw what the environment was and they were controlling themselves within the environment. They were the thermostat. And that's that's something I think is really rare. But, hey, winning championships is rare. OK, being number one in your in, in your industry is rare. Right. And so these unusual behaviors are derived from unusual mindsets. Right. Right. And that's so. So when it comes from, you know, one, you had to adapt the season, right? Because now you're not playing in the fall, right? And now you got to play in the play in the spring, right? And so that sets off a whole different set of timelines, right? And you don't know whether you're actually going to play this week or you know the upcoming game because you can't control the other team because right. they may not be able to be eligible to play because they may have too many people, you know, uh, who, who didn't exactly. pass the COVID guidelines. All right. And so it just seemed like it was a constant state of discipline and adaptation, a constant state of discipline and mental toughness. All right. And that's what I think, you know, your, your, your season is so relevant to, you know, to where the country is right now, because now people are starting to get back and the expectations, particularly in business, are now rising. Right. People aren't working from home, even if they are you know, the economy is, is good, right? We got to get back to where, you know, where we normally are. And if we're, and if we're smart about this, we'll take advantage of this environment. Okay. So I'd like, I'd like to see if you can speak to just, you know, getting an organization, you know, basically in the same line to take advantage of these opportunities, as you call them. Right. And from 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 an execution standpoint or from optimizing, you know, the best talent that you have, what what did you see as some of the primary factors you know, that helped you become successful? 
Well, again, as we talked earlier, I mean, just the ability to adapt and having your players understand, like, like we're life right now is in a constant flux and we must do our best to work through those issues and and we might have we, we may have to adapt to ways that we never thought we were going to have to adapt to before mm-hmm. and not only do we have to adapt but we have to embrace the adaptation it's one thing just a thing to get through things it's another thing to actually to thrive as you go through a, a, a situation and that's what our kids you know started to kind of buy into it was like not i mean I'm asking 18 through 22 year olds to do their own laundry every day, every day. Cause they have to do their, every, cause we need them out in the same gear. Every, so, so we, we didn't, we didn't have a, a laundry system. They had to do their own laundry every day. So I'm asking them to do all these things, but there's a payoff and this is what the payoff's going to be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just to get them all the buy-in, you got to start with your leaders, the leaders on that team, that leadership council, mm-hmm. you know, they have to buy it. And once they buy in, then, you know, it's their responsibility with the position group that they're in, involved with to buy in. And all of a sudden, the whole team, you know, that national championship ring, which is it, so interesting. You know, we're watching some old, I'm watching some footage of the national championship game, and I'm watching South Dakota State preparing to come out on the field, and they're all pointing to their, their ring finger. You know, it's about the ring. Yeah. It, it's because it's something you have for the rest of your life. And the yeah. ring really tells a story. Mm-hmm. And, and so, um, you know, our guys understood that, you know, to do something great was going to be really, it, 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 it was going to be hard, but it's going to last forever for us. And, and I coined this term immortality. Mm-hmm. When you win a cha- national championship, you, you get immortality, mm-hmm. you know, I was doing a clinic at Michigan and I went, walked in the big house and I saw that in 1901, 1902, 1903, and I think 1904, mm-hmm. they won the national championship. I know that because a hundred years later, they're still flying the flags yeah. of the national championship. It's mm-hmm. the same thing here mm-hmm. for the rest of eternity. This national championship is going to be celebrated here for us eternity. They're going to have those rings on their fingers. And so it's just a way you got to captivate their, their, their vision of what they want you have to captivate um you know that 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 part of them inside that you know was willing to go that extra mile to for greatness and if you're able to do that then you can kind of get them all going the same direction um so it's it's uh, it's a great challenge as a leader to to you know kind of take something and try to be the very best um, at anything, if it's in business or if it's as a you know college football program, but you don't do it as one sole person. You do it as a group, mm-hmm. and that's why my coaches in my staff meetings understand to echo the message from the head coach through their lens and through their words. And then our leadership council knows that they have a voice, but then whatever that voice is going to be, it's going to be echoed through the team together. And so it's just constant messaging. You know, you've got constant messaging through your entire organization, and it's coming from the head coach, the assistant coach, to the leadership council, to the position players, then you have a chance. Yeah. It's when you get those tugs and pulls, and that's what my job is to make sure that I do give input. I do listen, mm-hmm. because if this is a dictatorship and it's just me spouting off my rules and my vision, and what I want to accomplish, it doesn't work. 
you need to have buy-in from every level of your organization. And buy-in, it helps if you listen. And if you listen, then you can have them feel like they have some ownership. They have some, some skin in the game and that we're all going the same direction. It's hard to do, but it can be done. Well, particularly in a high pressure job. You know, we're, 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 you know, you're under a deadline each and every week. But what it sounds like is that you empower your coaches right, and you empower your leadership council. And one of the secrets is what you're talking about is you pull the meat. You don't push it. Right? And so if there is some pockets of resistance, you let the, you know, you let your assistants take care of you. Let, and particularly the players. And, 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 and what's amazing, you didn't have a locker room you know, to take care of these forces of resistance right right? but and so even more so on a cellular level right guys were taking care of these pockets of resistance so you can move forward right so you can just keep your eye you know and the focus on the mission on the purpose of why you're there so uh it's it's one of those uh great accomplishments that i don't think people even you yourself and your and, and your team fully appreciate now but in the next five, 10 to 20 years of realizing of what you all accomplished within the environment that you accomplished it in and how, you know, your, 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 your the behavior changed in order to, you know, to, to meet the, 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 the challenge to accomplish the objective is like nothing that I've ever seen. Right. right? And it was, and, and I was just really proud that it happened to be a good friend. So you know, let me ask you if you have anything else that you want to share with the listeners, please, please go ahead. Well, you know, I think what we went through was sort of interesting where we went through four, my first four years here. Um, you know, we made the playoffs every year. We were in the final four in the country three times. Mm-hmm. And but we were just getting beaten down by James Madison and North Dakota State. when we eventually got to those games, either in the semis or or in the quarters. And so I made a, a, a decision that I would change our offense. And, and I went and, and I found a way to finance a, a strength coach to come in and a dietitian to come in. Because mm-hmm. I, I, I think I, one of the best things I do, Stephen, is when, when a season's over, I go self-reflect. Mm-hmm. I go self-evaluate. Mm-hmm. How can I, 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 I'm no interest in being good. I want to be great. I have no interest in, in I, we put way too much time into to this thing just to be okay. It's not okay to be okay in, in my world or, or at San Diego State. And so I made a pretty bold decision to change us offensively. I think we led the country in scoring three out of four years. And I changed us offensively because I didn't think that we could beat the North Dakota States and the South Dakota States and the James Madisons of the world yeah. playing the way we were playing. Yeah. And then we went and helped ourselves with the strength coach is phenomenal, a dietitian. And all of a sudden, what we did was we got more physical. And all of a sudden now we brought a physical brand of football along with all the great athletes we have. And that was the difference. And it was, I thought it was going to take a year. It took us two. And I told everyone, like, I'm not crazy. This is, this is, but this is, if you want to win a national championship, this is what we have to do. Mm-hmm. And I, I appreciate that the guys, you know, all hung in there with me uh, as we made this transition. Because scoring points is great. And, and you know, the fans love all those touchdowns. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't, it wasn't going to get us a national championship win. If you don't we, have those other components... We we need to be able to play against physical teams and use scheme, not speed, in Mm -hmm. terms of how fast we were playing. 
Yeah. So that basically was the change. We stopped playing fast and we use tempo as part of our package, but we also now use formations and tight ends and different schemes that we could try to attack them in different ways than just playing fast. Because what you realize when you're playing people as good as you are, if not better, just playing fast doesn't help. Right. And so it was a bold move, but I thought it's what we had to do. And it all paid off with, with having the number one team in the country. Well, that's a lot of people, a lot of leaders like yourself uh, in any business, in any walk of life, um, won't, won't change due to loss aversion. Right. Okay. And they're afraid, you know, the, 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 the risk to lose something is greater than the reward of getting something psychologically. And that's a major hump for a lot of leaders to get over. Right. And so that lesson right there, I think, is invaluable because if you stop changing, you stop growing. And the fact of the matter is, and I think you'll agree with me on this, if you didn't change, you're going to regress because you're either getting better or getting worse. Yes. You never stay the same. You never stay the same. That that was Tubby. Tubby would always say, you know, you never stay the same in in anything in life, but especially in football. Your team Mm -hmm. never stays the same. Mm-hmm. And so I thought we t- I thought we took it to a level that was pretty impressive, but we, we couldn't get past that level with what we were doing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, alums aren't happy if you don't make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Administrations aren't happy if you don't make the playoffs. Yeah, I'm not body. happy if we don't make the playoffs. Yeah. And it wasn't that we weren't going to try making the playoffs, but I knew that we have to maybe take a couple steps backwards mm-hmm. before we could go forward again. Mm-hmm. And we t- so we took those steps backward, mm-hmm. knowing that if we did go forward, we could go forward in a way that we could hopefully win the national championship. Yeah, and that's where confidence really plays into what a leader is all about. Because right. yeah, you you had that confidence, and you know you, you saw what the vision was, you knew what you wanted, but you had the confidence that it was going to pay off, and that confidence radiated even even while you took that step back, right because then you were able to take the two steps forward and win the national championship in an unprecedented manner. So well, and, and, you know, the last thing I'll leave you with is that you, you, as a leader, you, you can't listen to the noise. Mm-hmm. You can't listen to the noise. Mm-hmm. And I knew people wouldn't be happy us taking a step back. I didn't really care. That, that, yeah. that, that's, their, that's their issue, not my issue. I knew that this is what we had to do. If we truly were trying to win the national championship, this is the steps that we had to go through to win the national championship. And, you know, I, I went to an alum and said, listen, I need a football only strength coach and it's going to cost about 50,000. And if you give me 50,000, I'll go convince the athletic director to take over the position in a year. And then I needed a dietitian. So I got two alums and my wife mm-hmm. and I convinced my wife and two alums to fund this position. And I said, two years, you will fund it for two years. And after the second year, I'll convince the administration to take over this position. And that's what we did. So, so I, I had a plan in place. And I knew that, though, we may take a step back as we go through this transition. And we did take a step back. But then the steps forward we made were, were pretty, pretty impressive. And all of a sudden, when we got lined up to play the three best teams in the country, who probably are the three most physical teams in the country, and we handled all three of them, it showed that the, the it paid off. Yeah. It all paid off. Yeah, all those investments paid off because yep. one without the other doesn't really do you any good. No. That's that's the thing. All right, so you're in a high-pressure job. 
uh, that a lot of people think are glamorous, but it's uh, it's it's mostly just spending time in a film room. So how do you relax? How do you celebrate? Family. It's it's to me, it's just all about family. Like before every game, I talk to my daughter who's in in Wilmington, Delaware mm -hmm. with my grandson. Um, I talk to my mom, who's 89 years old, who's up in Emmaus, Pennsylvania. And I talk to my son, who's out in Hollywood, uh, working in the industry out there. And so, and I make sure that my wife and my, our 12 year old rescue dog get a kiss before I leave. And, and to me, it's all about family. And, and, and that's, that's the hardest thing about this job is the amount of time away from family. Mm -hmm. But what is so rewarding is I do try to share these experiences with my family. Yeah. And uh, I mean, they grew up, you know, sitting in, in the elm tree, uh, watching the game at Rowan University. Mm -hmm. That's how they grew up. Yeah. you know um and then they both went to the university of delaware when i was the head coach mm -hmm. um and now they're living you know three thousand miles apart mm -hmm. but every before every game i connect with them because you know they're, they're, they're my why you know this is why i do this is because mm -hmm. i want to be able to you know share these experiences with them mm -hmm. and so it's it's uh it's not an easy way to make a living uh you're away a lot from family uh but uh yeah i mean every chance i get it's all about family well, Casey, always a pleasure, my friend. And um, thank you for your time and for your willingness to share your uh, your, your lessons in leadership. Uh, I couldn't be more uh, I couldn't be more grateful for you, but I'm also uh, extremely happy and proud for you. You're uh, you're really a terrific guy, and I know you're uh, not only your assistant coaches, but your players are are better off better off because of their association with you. I appreciate. It. Thanks, Steve. Okay, kids. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time on the uh, on the X Factor.